This is Van Electric Ghost, and we are live on our Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch channels with David Parsons and uh, the third. And uh, we're glad to have you. He's on the island of Kauai, which I got right, I hope. <laughs> you got it right, man. Aloha. It's a little early on this side, but we're we're stoked to be on with you. Yeah, yeah. It's a little early. It was like 5 p.m. Uh, New Hampshire time. We, we live in New Hampshire. <laughs> a weird state for an electronic musician, I know. But um, <laughs> we've been doing this podcasting since 2018. We've got about 32,000 listeners uh, via our Spotify Anchor FM podcast. And we are now doing these video podcasts, which is new for us in 2021. Every podcast we do does get pushed into audio only. But the video portion is a new thing we're doing. Sweet, man. Well, Phantom Ghost, I'm so stoked to be on with you and, and the opportunity is uh, such a pleasure. I, I thought it was funny. You're like, oh, it's not a, a New Hampshire is not the most well-known place for electric music. But you know what? Who cares, man? It's music and uh, music touches people in awesome ways and, and ends of the earth. You know, you never know who it's going to reach. So yeah, yeah. perfect, perfect example. I'm on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, literally on the other side of the world. Yeah, I'm in the middle of a bunch of are. pine trees with a bunch <laughs> of Moogs and Rollins and modular gear. And I usually I got to go to New York for anybody to really get into it. But um, we want to get into what you do. And uh, <laughs> what we're first going to do is we're actually going to show, which we're queuing up a video that you did on YouTube. You have an official lyric video for the song, the original song where you are, and we're going to actually give the audience um, a taste of your music. We're going to play the whole video all the way through, oh, and then we're going to, on the back side, we'll talk to you about it, all right? Okay, awesome, awesome, man, love it. Okay, so we're going to get into the song, David Parsons III, Where You Are. Thank you. <laughs> Seashells, but seashells don't wanna be here. 
your hand Things love the distant lands on daisies Just a daydream with you the third and in your song where you are so we're going to get that off and get back into the main topic so yeah we're happy i got my, <laughs> my green screen's off but just the way it goes um here we go we're back <laughs> yeah that's a, nice, but, uh, that's a nice little graphic you got there yeah okay. it's my moog it's my moog and then my daughter did my uh my uh logo there that's sweet. It's logo for the it. ghost. But uh, yeah, we get, we got a bunch of them she's done. But um, yeah, we want to get into who you are. So you are a singer, songwriter, author, and motivational speaker. And you used to be in um, the world of celebrity advertising in Los Angeles before you moved to Kauai. Yes. Yep, that's correct. I uh, Before I moved here, before I even knew I could write music, I was... Uh, had the pleasure of working with some uh, NFL athletes and celebrities. And uh, I was just right place at the right time when I was in college. And I had a, used to play on the baseball team and I was a bench warmer. So third string, they put me in charge of a bunch of the little kid uh, training sessions. And uh, one of the kids that I was kind of mentoring and had been training for a couple of years, his dad had to be, happened to be a kind of a hot shot in the, uh, celebrity branding world and when i stopped playing baseball uh, he asked me to be a part of his team and i just man talk about such a pleasure and an honor to be a, a part of something that uh you know was bigger than yourself that you got to be a part of a team and i learned all about you know just chasing after something and, and hard work and traveling and 
and marketing, which I think was the foundation for when I did discover I could write music, um, allowed me to excel fast because I approach music as business before uh, the creative side. I look at it more of a, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to run a business. I'm an entrepreneur, um, which allowed kind of the stepping stones for me to be successful in music with the gift. That, that, that's a really good thing because a lot of us, you know, I'm probably more of a, <laughs> like our art, I'm a, a more of like the ty type of like avant-garde kind of Lou Reed, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a thing going on or like old school progressive. It's like, uh, and we need to actually do better. A lot of us in the, in the artists are, are more uh, kind of like, oh, we, we don't want to be big. We just want to be true to our art. And, and, and yeah. in truth, you know, the reason I do the podcast is because it, it helps me with the business. Sure. Um, and so, I mean, I, if I, I, you know, as a musician, I'd rather probably spend 100% of my time on my Moog, but I spend a lot of time talking to other musicians, not even talking about my own music. Um, so that's kind of a, a thing that you realize you have to put time in to get other things going on yes, <laughs> from, from that business side. So you discovered like life on the island, which must be pretty cool. Um, mm -hmm. And you found that you had a talent for singing after you already had a really cool talent of marketing, which I think a lot of musicians, like we said, really need that. Um, but you were influenced um, by one of my favorite artists of all time, Van Morrison. Yes. Absolutely. And maybe you want to talk a little bit about that because Van Morrison, you know, Van the Man, he is like such a big, you know, pillar of, of uh, sure. all types of music. So maybe sure. talk about that a little bit. Yeah. And I, I think one thing that's very interesting about me is I didn't come from a, a music background. Um, I, I just started picking up a guitar back in 2014 and like consistently playing. I started mm -hmm. with like four chords, but something I was always drawn to with my father is we, we listen to oldies a lot. And, um, you know, one of the artists that we used to listen to was Ben Morrison, but I, I love him because I love his lyrics and I love that's for me. I love songs that have lyrics that have purpose and, uh, intentionality behind them and um, that hits you at a point where you connect with the lyrics and not, you know, as much as you do the music and the instruments behind it. For me, I've always just been a lyrically driven uh, person and musician. So for him, you know, Into the Mystic and uh, uh, Blow Honey, like those songs yeah. that are driven by acoustic sounds, um, where he creates kind of an atmosphere that you can hear in the background of the, of the song. I think as I formed in 2014, 2015, and, and we as musicians, we're always changing, we're always evolving. Um, we're always kind of pushing the limits of who we are individually and, and finding our identity in the music. But I think that was something that was very influential for me is, you know, Into the Mystic, when he's singing about uh, the foghorn and you hear the foghorn out off in the background. Yeah. I think, <laughs> Sounds like, like living, from San Francisco um, Bay or something. <laughs> yeah, just uh, living in Kauai, we have so much beautiful natural sounds around us from the ocean to the sounds of the palm trees to, you know, I was talking with my, my wife and I just said, it's interesting we have this, uh, this curtain that's in our bedroom and it has this squeak, like this kind of squeak to it as the wind, as the canyon wind passes through our house. Mm -hmm. And it reminded me so much of growing up camping and the sound of the hammock 
and it was this nest, you know, this nostalgic sound. So I think getting back to your question, like how he's influenced me is I, I think that I've been able to take the outside and the atmosphere of where I'm at in my life and also geographically where I'm at when I'm writing a song and bringing that into that experience. Um, I think that's been how he yeah. specifically has influenced me. One of the things about I love about Van is, um, you know, if you think about his music, he's got this kind of Celtic romance thing going on and he always names check all these great authors, right? Yeah. So he'll like, you know, torn down Isle Rambo. He'll, he'll just like, he'll just name check all these things and there's all this layering, but, but it's got this soul. It's like a blue eyed soul with this mm -hmm. Celtic thing going on. And then this kind of jazz progressive rock thing going on. Uh, yeah. And I really got into him when he got to this point. Um, we did uh, um, song, yeah, Hems to the Silence and um, Enlightenment. And because I'm a keyboardist, I really, because he was trying to, he was kind of struggling with like the new wave era and trying to figure <laughs> out where he was going to fit. And yeah, then when yeah. he got to the 90s, he, got, he figured out how to use keyboards uh, and synths in this really interesting way. It was kind of like a Brian, o, Brian Eno kind of thing. It was like this very atmospheric, kind of like the way the YouTube with the Unforgettable Fire and Joshua Tariq, they came up with this new sound. And Van, Van came up with that new sound. And I really liked how he used the piano with like these synths that were kind of very orchestral in the background. Sure. And, and that really appealed to me. And there's a lot of work I've done that's kind of inspired by that phase of his work. But- um, I I think what's cool is as musicians, right? We have certain sounds that we, um, when we're listening to songs, right? We <clears throat> reach out and we uh, can sympathize or we hear those certain things. Like for me, <clears throat> when I listen to his music, I would never sit there and necessarily pick apart like the piano or the keys or something like that. But it's so interesting how that's the first thing, you know, that you hear, right? That Or that's one of those things that, that yeah. connects with you and i remember we were talking about um I, i'm sorry i'm i'm again my background is not necessarily music so i feel <laughs> a little bit like a hypocrite sometimes because you know my publisher and my and my uh manager they're so intellectually music yeah. encyclopedias like, and i'm just like i just listen to music you know <laughs> like but um i just i think that that's one of the wonders of of being a fan of music and also mm -hmm. an audience member of music is how we all approach the listening process differently. And um, I, I remember we were talking about, you know, jump and the keyboards for. Oh, like, yeah. In, in, yeah, uh, the Oberheim. Yeah. It's like the big, like I'm a big keyboard head, right? So yeah. like I know the difference between like an, Ober, an OB6 or like right. a Prophet 5 or a Jupiter 8 or a Juno 106 or a Mini Moog Hammond V3, you know, name checking them all. But um, Yamaha DX7. But it's like there's they're like you know like a Fender Strat or a Les yeah, Paul exactly. or a Rickenbacker you know it's like there's certain guitars that are associated with certain musicians yeah. like Rickenbacker is like the Birds and Tom Petty they yeah. both used the Rickenbacker and they had this very interesting twelve string sound that's associated with both of those bands and sure. the same thing happens with like the, the keyboards like you know it's, it's a big thing I'm into I'm a big you know analog modular synth guy. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just interesting the way, the way, but I've been, 
the other thing that's really interesting, I think, in music is like, well, here's like, I'm a keyboardist, but I love punk bands. I like sure. like the Clash. I like who's could do. I like the replacements. I like the Ramones. And you say, yeah. well, why, why would you like that? Well, okay, think about Nine Inch Nails and Trent Reznor. There's there's a lot of punk in what Trent does with Nine Inch Nails. And so if, if, if he approached like the Clash and that kind of punk edge and that heavy heavy rock, you know, a heavy metal kind of edge, like a Zeppelin edge, and put it into like electronic. Um, you get this industrial sound. So yeah, they, I've always been a big fan of like merging genres because um, sure. I think that's where you get something new. And that's why I like talking to people in the indie world. And interesting right. when we talk about your influences, if we have Van Morrison's really big, we got Jan, uh, Jack Johnson and John Mayer. And I can see that when you're, you're more of a singer songwriter type, you, you got that standard singer songwriter kind of like platform that's real, really big in the seventies. Um, Sure. And I guess John Mayer and Jack Johnson have kind of continued it now. Um, but we're kind of in the era of the DJ or the EDM in the hip hop band. So it's interesting that you kind of picked the singer songwriter vibe, which is more of like a 70s, late 60s vibe. Yeah. And it's neat how I, I think, again, going back to the idea of being an independent artist, right, is finding finding who you are in the midst of that. And I would say like... It's something that's very intimidating when you, you know, you hear the Post Malones or, you know, Billy Eilash and they, they have a specific pop sound. And I would say one thing that I've learned is to never leave your roots, but to always mm -hmm. like lean on those, but not to try to be somebody that you're not <clears throat> and not to and and to be OK with that, to be unapologetic, you know, unapologetically OK with being, hey, this is my vibe. This is who I am and finding, finding your space and finding your, um, your identity in that and, and then pressing forward. Because if you go outside of that, there's nothing wrong with it. But I think that it's a little bit harder to be confident in who you are on a day-to-day -day basis as an indie artist, when you're always trying new things, you know, when you're always, yeah. there's always so many people that you're not, you know, <laughs> I think there's only so many people who can be like a David Bowie. I think David sure. Bowie was sure. was like the um, the kind of break the rule guy for that because <laughs> like he was <laughs> yeah. But the thing about him is like you know he did try it straight. Like the history with Bowie is he came out as David Jones, which is like his real name, mm -hmm. and he wore like a Beatles like suit, and he tried to do stuff kind of straight. He did just like this sing pop songs, sing Beatles type songs. It didn't go anywhere, and then as soon as he became like. Uh, did Space Oddity, and it came out with this kind of Ziggy-esque vibe. He yeah. started bringing theater, and then he started not only doing that, it's like every album had a different character, from yeah. a Ziggy Stardust to Aladdin Sane, to the Thin White Duke, to like, you know, all these different characters you create. And and that, I think, is there's a whole thing in the 70s where tons of bands, like even Queen, had a phase where they were kind of doing that kind of Bowie-esque thing. Uh, a lot of progressive rock bands did it, you know, Kiss did it, um, you, you know, a lot of like Rat Poison, they all kind of took the idea. And a lot of the new wave bands are all like like Sons and Daughters of Bowie. Um, uh, it's, it's just interesting that you, people have to know where their head's at. You know, do, do you want to be into that theater? There's some people are more yep. rather yeah, be like a, yep. like a James Taylor. It seems like you got the James Taylor 
Van Morrison kind of, they never yeah. drew, you know Van never drew, tried to be like you know Freddie Freddie Mercury he never tried to to come out looking like anybody other than himself and, and I, some, I think that there's there's absolute like value to the people that can do that I mean I think that takes a a lot of courage I mean Lady Gaga you know what I mean like yeah she's a modern version of that a modern version where she just incredible piano player really high IQ but she looked at it and she said, well, I'm the stature of where I want to get to. I don't want, you know, I don't necessarily think that just sitting there playing piano. Is well, she tried it in New York and it didn't yeah, work. Yeah, she did. Absolutely. <laughs> and then, you know, and then you start putting on the big costumes and there's this ultra ego to it. And I think for me, I just look at that and I go, that that's scary to me to, to, to do that, to turn into to, the character, to jump into that. But. But the thing is, it pays off if you can do it, you know, and um, yeah, it's a lot of theatrics. Into it. Yeah, sure. And <laughs> I, I think just you gotta have one... a, yeah, I mean, I Go think ahead. it's the difference between being a musician, right, and, yeah. and being a performer. Sure, absolutely. Like if you think about like the Michael Jacksons and the Princes, like in the 80s, um, they had a lot of performer in them, a lot of actor in them. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it, in order to get to that kind of stature, like the Lady Gaga Queen, Prince, Michael Jackson, Bowie thing. You gotta kinda create this stagecraft and it's not you, it's this other you. Yes. And you have to be comfortable projecting that. And sometimes there was a problem where people would live that role. Bowie yes. admitted that he sometimes like became Ziggy and he couldn't get out of Ziggy. Yes. You know, yes. and you know, sometimes that's a big problem because if you can't get out of that character, it's like a method actor. You know, you, tell, you see an Al Pacino or De Niro, they get stuck in the character and that can be detrimental to your life. So I can understand why some musicians say, well, I don't want to even go there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, and I've, you know, I thought about it. My wife <laughs> kicked around ideas like that with my wife and stuff. But I think I always come back to as much as I would like to be known as a performer, I want to be known as an artist and a lyricist and mm -hmm. somebody that writes music that uh comes from a place of you know just kind of everyday life and and that's who i am and there's nothing wrong with the other one by any means i mean that no was, it's all there's a place for everything yeah <laughs> there's a place, that's just not me at this point in time in my life <laughs> you just never know where you go you know if you, if you as a, as a you know you could become an actor like you could yeah. like musicians sometimes find themselves some some director comes up to you and says hey they see you on a video and then they say hey I think you could play this role, yeah. right? And then suddenly you go and play something you never thought you could do, right? Because the act, the director pulls it out of you. Um, so you never know where you're gonna go if you, something like that happens. But but what I think it's interesting, like I say, in this kind of age where we don't really have the singer-songwriter as much, I do focus in this program talking to singer-songwriters because I like, I like the depth of what a singer-songwriter can do. Um, I like the fact that it's like it's telling a story or reading a novel um, in the same way that you like Van Morrison. I get drawn into people who, when I try to interview people, I want to understand like where they're coming from and why they want to write songs that tell stories um, mm -hmm. rather than just beat focused songs. Not that that's bad, but I'm more of a child of the 70s and 60s. I grew up with the Beatles. You know, I grew up with the Stones. I grew up with songs and albums. Um, I actually am not a playlist person. I'm more of a, an album focused person. Mm, that's and what, I think that's this... what my brother is. My brother is like, <laughs> he will not listen to an my youngest brother, Jacob. He's like, 
he will not listen to an individual song. He's like, dude, that is not how you listen to music. You you start at the beginning of the album and yeah. you work through it so that you feel and experience what the you know the artist was creating at that season in his life or that snapshot in his life. You know, I find it very interesting on that night note with the song Where You Are that you played, right? That was one of my very first songs that I kind of came out with and, and wrote. Um, and the inspiration behind that is uh, my auntie, Linda. Uh, she passed away from uh, breast cancer about 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And uh, she's just this vibrant, beautiful, uh, one of those people that when they walk into a room, they just light the whole room up and always has a smile and, and brings this sense of peace, right? And uh, my uncle Robert, um, her husband, about a year or two after she she passed away, we were sitting there and uh, I, it was Christmas, Christmas Eve. And, you know, we were doing the family big get together. And I saw this photo of my Auntie Linda and my Uncle Robert up on the mantle. And it was one of their last trips to, uh, I believe it was Maui, uh, one of the other Hawaiian islands. And um, at this point in her life, we knew that, it, you know, it was terminal and all that stuff. And and I just said, you know, Uncle Robert, what what do you miss most about about Auntie Linda? And and he said right out of his mouth, he said, wherever Auntie Linda was is where I wanted to be. And that's where that song, Where You Are, came wow. from, the, the lyrics of that. So I think for me, how when everybody's process is different, but I'll hear these things in everyday life that I'm like, that right there, that is that's the song. song. And yeah, you go yeah. Throughout, you know, you go throughout <laughs> your every single day and the ebb and flow of of life and you hear these things. When I, my executive assistant, he Jordan, he, when I first met him, something that stood out to me is he said, uh, you know, he, he would say, uh, treat yourself good, you know, treat yourself, treat yourself today. And and uh, I was like that right there. That's like that's the essence. There's of another song. song. There's another <laughs> song. Yeah. So I think I think, yeah, I, I think that that is a really core thing. I think as singer songwriters, I think creative people, you know, as the talent, like whether you're a musician, right, and you figure out, like as a, as a like an instrument when you play your instrument, mm -hmm. you, you kind of will get into this, but like all your influences when you're playing an instrument kind of subconsciously come out. Yeah, and you know, lyrics is a whole nother thing. You kind of subconsciously or consciously pick make decisions. Like you heard that story and then you turned it into what your 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 kind of sound painting your sound movie your sound little vision yeah and, and then the uh, whole, you know the the song it all kind of comes together i was thinking like okay well what's a scene and what's what is somebody thinking when they're in that place in life where they know they have a limited amount of time and how can i think about this from somebody else's perspective in this case being my uncle um and that's why the whole song starts out with, you know, in that hammock mm -hmm. where we just what, you know, we woke up to the sunrise and stuff. And then it goes on to say uh, that more talks about the kind of the simpler things of life and how if I was in that position of, hey, you have X amount of months left to live, um, where would you want to be? And I was like, well, I would want to be somewhere that has sunshine and, and uh, you know, rainbows and butterflies, all that good stuff and and uh, kind of end, end it that way. But. Yeah, with a positive a, kind of vision on something that you could go kind of dark on and you absolutely. you went to the light which is i think that's the talent of singer songwriters i mean sometimes like i'm a, I'm a big fan of lou reed and he's kind of delving into new york darkness okay. <laughs> um, nice. because i, I kind of like the, the kind of dark corners of the street like graham parsons 
Uh, I used to actually talk about that in his work. Um, but, but yeah, it's just, and even like Johnny Cash would kind of focus on like criminals as like the heroes in his songs. <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's like, okay, well, that's cool, but it's also good to have the kind of happy power that you get in the Motown song or you mm-hmm. get into something with a, with a you know a, a, a cool beat and talking about romance and it's always like a weird dichotomy like can you create like this very ha- happy beat but maybe have lyrics that are a little bit more depressive but the beat is so powerful that people don't actually see that yeah. that the yeah. song is actually sad yeah if you actually read the lyrics it's sad but but the feeling the song conveys is 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 happy <laughs> the exact opposite yeah I, I like i actually like that dichotomy i'm kind of into that I, I like that too when in <laughs> movies right where the i there i can't name exact one right now but every once in a while i'll see this play out in movies or in a tv show where it's some like you know horrific scene of somebody dying or you know some whatever and then it's like it's this weird like happy just solo song sometimes it'll be like acapella with just a or just with like a guitar yeah. or like a bass yeah quentin tarantino is famous for putting songs like that in the yeah, like really crazy scenes yeah <laughs> yeah i think that's actually where i, like, what I was like reservoir dogs has this really like uh, like i think this 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 really famous song i forget the name of it but it's like um there's this famous scene where this guy goes and does all these horrific things but it's got this kind of folky song that's kind of upbeat mm-hmm. while he's doing it and in mm-hmm. tarantino has famous for taking like songs and putting cre- kind of really creepy imagery around them <laughs> and mm-hmm. they, they got the dichotomy but yeah diverge but um yeah i think it's interesting we know your your um your influences and we know that you had you know you you, you came from a different background from most musicians that they probably would like to have your skill set um but you started to, and I'd like, like to have their creativity. Just throwing <laughs> that out there. <laughs> well, you you do have it because you're <laughs> you're doing your own work. Uh, so so you found a voice. You found your voice, sure. and it, like you started like based on what I'm reading your your background. Like you you, you performed in the restaurants and hotels and in, in you know on that you actually have a lot of cool venues like you would in LA because yeah. you're like in a tourist area. Um, yeah. So you so is that. Maybe talk about how you were able to, you know, go from one type of a career into this other career because it's, you know, it's one thing to be like somebody that wants to do that, but like, how did you get yourself into that performing mode, which is totally different than what you had done before in your life? Yeah, I think with the with working with the celebrities and stuff, I had to probably when I was like eighteen, nineteen, I I was I had to be in positions where I had to sell our websites or like our design because we created websites right for nfl guys so it was my job next to the ceos to go into these situations where agents would be or publicists for teams would be or the actual you know players and athletes themselves and basically from scratch have to in a very quick elevator pitch sell them on, on an idea and the values of that so i think for me getting into music as a full-time artist, I had this drive to say, I don't care if people don't like what I have to play. There's going to be somebody out there that likes it. And I'm not the greatest. I'll be the first to tell you, I'm, I'm certainly not, you know, John Mayer or Jack Johnson by any means. Um, 
there's always going to be somebody better, that's better than you. But for me, I had this internal drive that I'm going to throw myself into situations where I am super uncomfortable because I love this so much. And I think, you know, my, my kind of start, the, the very first gig that I ever had was at, it's actually right down the street from my, from my studio. It was at a, a small um, little steakhouse called Wranglers on the west side of Kauai. In fact, I think it's the furthest most, most west side uh, steakhouse in the United States. But, you know, super <laughs> small, amazing staff, just Marissa and her team. And the story goes, I mean, this is how I, I got started is um, my one of my really good friends, his wife uh, and him let me rent a room out here in Kauai. And he played, he's the guy that's place ukulele on all of my tracks that have ukulele on them and this guy just loves playing he just loves absolutely loves playing music and so three four nights a week his name's mitch mitch would get his ukulele out and just strum Folsom prison and and go down the list of 10 20 different <laughs> songs and he's like dave dave you gotta play music with me and i'm like i brought my guitar but i know three at this was 2013 like mm -hmm. i know three chords and so we started playing and then they they ran a little bed and breakfast and so we started playing you know two three nights very consistently for five six seven eight guests that would come into the lobby area um his family you know the family room and stuff and uh they started asking us hey do you have a cd do you have a cd and i at first i'm like we sound so bad why why would well, you yeah, there's a cd, a CD. <laughs> you know yeah. and then about six months into it you know, my marketing brain kicked in and it was like, wait, if there's strangers from across the world consistently asking you for a CD, maybe there's it. something more to this vibe, you know, maybe there's something to this. And so I had a Friday night I was working. So I went from CEO of the marketing company to I when I hit the island, I, I wanted a fresh restart. And that's a lot about what I talk about when I uh, get to speak to students at, you know, business schools and music schools is I needed a, a restart. Um, and I wanted to do that in my mid twenties before I settled down and found a wife and, you know, started having kids. And when I came to the Island, I had like, like I said, I knew four chords and all I wanted to do is go from 12 hour days, six days a week in marketing to being the kid I never got to be through my college years. And so oh, I was a busser. <laughs> I was a busser at a restaurant and a and a server here on Kauai. And I just um took the time to learn how to surf. I turned the, took the time to start playing guitar and do these sessions with with Mitch. And I think it all started. I had one night off. It was a Friday night. And I went down to this street fair that was every Friday, about 15 minutes from my house. And uh, there were street performers. You could go pick a light, you know, a, a, a street light to sit underneath and, and play. So I did that. I went down. I think I knew like literally like eight songs from playing with Mitch in his family room for these guests. I knew about eight songs by heart by that time. I was so nervous. Phantom, I closed my eyes. I started playing the eight songs I knew. I'd peek, you know, under every once in a while. We're right. We're right. And uh, are they still there? The crowd there? <laughs> and I opened my eyes, and there was about thirteen people there. And I remember there was forty-eight dollars in cash, and that was that was the moment I said, oh, "This is work. what I'm doing for the rest <clears throat> of my life." And on the the ride home, I was on such a high from making the tips that mm -hmm. I pulled over to that steakhouse. I walked right in. 
And again, this is the salesman in me, the marketer mm -hmm. in me. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm not mm -hmm. by any means like ready to be a performer for, <laughs> for a travel destination restaurant. But I went right up to the counter and I said, hey, do you guys ever need live music? And the lady that was at the counter, she said to me, um, David, did anybody tell you about this? We talked about this today, this afternoon in our manager's meeting about bringing on live music in our cool. restaurant. Wow. And she said, can you stay here? And she went back and got Marissa, who is the assist <clears throat> assistant general manager. And she said, hey, how, you know, can you play for two hours? I said, yes, absolutely. Which I didn't have a set list at all for that space. She's like, how much do you want to get paid? I was like, 150 for two hours. And she's like, great. We'll see you next Friday. I was like, great. You'll see me next Friday. And so then, you know, for a solid six to nine months, it was just forcing myself to get as many as those gigs as I could. And, and literally phantom ghost, like, just like, I remember I would get on stage. I'd be like two, three songs in and I'd be sweating so much because I was so <laughs> nervous. And I would, yeah. I remember looking down at my sheet music and going, why am I doing this to myself? I hate this. I don't enjoy this. And fast forward now, you know, I mean, making that transition of playing in front of a lot of people and being completely comfortable and being able to focus on, uh, you know, being more of an entertainer rather than a, you know, a sweating musician being scared. Well, I think it's <laughs> like, like, you know, like you, I think it's like if you, it's weird when you start later <clears throat> as a musician because a lot of us, like, um, you know, I, I started when I was like, you know, 13, 14 years old. Yeah, that's what you're saying. You know, cr cr creating like, you know, bands like in the basement, like punk bands and garage bands, you know, kind of like, you know, the original garage band, you know, basement bands and yeah. um, yeah. going to like house parties and, and, and trying to get playing at pizza joints and, you know, just the kind of working musician thing that we, you know, all tend to do. But different people, I've talked to other artists like yourself that started later. They started like, you know, in their late 20s or their 30s or their 40s. And it's a lot of times it's really the passion. And most of the time, the reason I talk to indie artists is because most independent artists, they're not actually trying to make money initially. They're doing it because there's something inside themselves yeah. they want to do. They want to say something. They have something inside that they want to express. And usually what happens is if you're dedicated enough, you will find people that want to hear that. They want to hear what you have to say or saying or present. And and that, and then your your talent to be you know a pusher. I think to push yourself is like a lot of musicians will try to do it at different levels. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just a matter of, like when I've read in your background that you were able to kind of take your marketing skill and be able to to get your stuff into other forms that you know like an MSNBC and and Comcast and we're talking about how you were able to get like translate that into like different uh, a different level. Of, of, of stuff. And I think also too realizing that there's so many amazing people along the way that this is like, I'm so grateful to my team and my family and my wife who's like supportive of this and that um, sees the value in it. And I would never have gotten here without that team, that tribe around me, you know, I mean, there's, there's just, we have a funny in our band, uh, we have this, funny, but whenever we get complimented off stage is this awkward moment where the bass player 
if he's because he's a really really amazing bass player and he'll look at me and he goes nah it's it's all it's all dave and then i'll i'll look at our the ukulele player is like nah it's, it's, it's all you know it's, it's effective <laughs> because we realize that there's absolutely zero space to be anything but humble in this because every one of us has come together to uh be a be a part of this and and plays an active role i i could never have been here if if mitch milan and his wife weren't gracious enough to let me move into their house and rent you know the loft space i would never have discovered music if mitch didn't say get your guitar out and play and and sing yeah, it's, whether it's or not all those people or not you can sing you know it's all the and people so, along the way i think as a musician that you know a lot of times it seems to be fate or these lucky breaks or you just ha happen to but it's really like you have to put yourself out of the nine to five thing you know you have to take a risk I mean, every musician you know a lot of times whether they get supported i mean a lot of musicians end up having a situation where like their parents they're really not into music music they're like you're not going to make any money you're not going to go get a real job right and so a lot of times musicians have to kind of buck against like their parents aren't supportive their best friends might not be supportive they end up finding a different community of other musicians or people who are into supporting musicians and find a different world to kind of phase into that um and it seems like yeah it's hard because a lot of times there's a lot of people in the world that don't seem to understand that music is in everything I mean, it's in movies it's in tv shows it's in video games it's like everywhere so when people say you can't make money they just don't fully understand how deep the deep yeah. music is i mean it's ev in everything that's out there so if you tap into that you can actually make money <laughs> yeah and i also think that it's you know it's building for me it's it's having been willing to do the crap stuff like i can't tell you how many times i've played at restaurants and there's two or three people there mm -hmm. and you know i make 100 bucks or 50 bucks and there's zero praise in it you have to come to terms with that and you have to still treat that session or that that concert or that performance as if those two people that are sitting there are the owners of capital records and it's having the same passion for and i i'm, I'm not the best i mean I'll, I'll be the first to tell you there's some nights where i'm just exhausted you know and i i don't yeah. have i'm not on my a game but what i guess my advice would be is if you want to be a successful mu musician i think there's two two parts to it one is not waiting for inspiration to happen I, I hear that all the time is oh i don't feel inspired and so i'm you know i i'm it's been a long time since i've been you know felt inspired and it's like no you show up and you create your own inspiration you have to show up you have to bring it every single day you you have to yeah. be willing to sit down and start writing and realize i tell my team all the time like hey there's gonna probably be 200 really really bad songs that i write but in that process i'm gonna make little incremental improvements yeah. i think that's a the core a core thing because like i'm a crazy like a pro prolific type of like writer you, i, I you pretty much, really are you really I, are I, I write like i got like maybe 1500 2000 compositions i've, I've been working yeah. on and it's like I have my studio in my bedroom. So pretty much if I wake up, I just go and start working, 
right? And so yeah. it's like it's, everything is like right next to me. I'm like original bedroom producer. So I, I so the, the the whole idea is like I I do so many hours worth of music, and people say, well, why are you doing that? I say, well, because what I find is if I just record, like if I just go and I record, and I just like then I go back and I listen to it. I find things that I work on is if I give myself all this reference material, just like my latest thing that I do since COVID, right? Since I can't go out in New Hampshire, we, we can't play venues. Um, yeah. Most of the Northeast, we can't play venues. Um, so I do these live concerts from my studio and then I record. Them. And then I find that in those live concerts, like what happens is that instead of just doing a recording session and start and stop, start and stop, I force myself to go live mm-hmm. because it makes me do improvisation and it makes you not, you can't just stop because you're playing live. So then you kind of let the music go wherever it's going to go. And I find that that actually gives me a lot of raw material that I can use for weeks and weeks and pull out the things I didn't even know I was going to do. And, yeah. and that's kind of why I find would tell people like kind of old school, what bands used to do back in the sixties and seventies, before you know the daw is they would just go in and jam the stones would just go in and jam the almonds would just go in and jam you know eric clapton would just go in a studio and jam and there's a lot of good in that i mean not everybody had the money to do that but you know you could take your daw and just jam instead of trying to grid life uh and and you'll find that sometimes when you're a little bit looser with yourself you can come up with a lot of good 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 material <laughs> i i think man that's i for listeners i think that is a huge nugget that you just gave is um finding your process you know going back to what i was saying before is like creating inspiration i i think that probably some of my most successful songs on tv and stuff have um or ones that have gotten placement on radio and stuff have been from those sessions where literally nobody's in the mall and people are walking by and I have my set list, but my, you know, my Mitch is playing ukulele and Seth's on bass and we have some time at the end to just jam. And, yeah. and what comes from those moments of pure, innocent, sometimes pure crap, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. you I mean, find that's... something in the rip, you find something and you find a groove and it's like, wow. That's, that's, like, that's, that's kind of the history of mo- modern music. Yeah. Is so many bands end up recording something they didn't even know they were going to do, right? They just ran the tape in the old old school recording studios. You just, they just run the tape. And even like a lot of bands would go on the road, you know, like YouTube did a bunch of albums from just taping stuff on the road, yeah. you know, and that's a normal technique that a lot of bands do when they kind of like, well, the studio is not working, right? So then they go on the road and they just make sure they tape the whole concerts. And then yeah. they end up finding that, you know, through the concerts, they do the just kind of, it's a lot of times music to me, it's, it's like a muse thing. It's like a poet. Poets kind of pull stuff from the muse, right? You pull it from the ether, you get it out of the air. And so when you're with a bunch of creative people, you're with a drummer, a bass player, guitar player, somebody on a mandolin, whatever. It's that nature of playing together as a musician. You go to New Orleans, you can see it. You go to the Delta with the blues guys, you see it. You know, that, that, that is the process. That is really how things happen. It's very hard to kind of just go on the grid and say, I'm going to make a hit. No, there's some guys that can do it. They're very good at it. Yeah, I think that there's a, there is a pop 
format, if you will. There's a certain type of producer that can do that. But I think a lot of people actually it's the happy accident that really does it. Yeah, a perfect um, example. My, uh, the probably the song I'm most well known for, like on the islands, "Life Is Jelly." Right? That funny song. The story behind that song is my car broke down, and for some reason in Hawaii, it's the hardest thing to get a tow truck driver on time. It just doesn't happen. So there's a, there's I think no I time. was waiting for six hours, and I had so that sounds car. like Hawaiian time. Like, yeah, Hawaiian time. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I'll get there when I get there. What are you gonna do? Yeah, and you found, I found a little riff. I was like, well, that's cool. And then on the way home, when I finally got the card to get jump started, or where I can't remember what happened, but I pulled into a guitar store. I put out, put my little phone out, and I just started recording the, the thing. And it, yeah, a lot of people together. today, they just use their voice memo. That's what they I use. They use GarageBand. They just, you know, you can, you can do a lot. I mean, I, back in the day when I didn't have my big Rollins, I used to use like cheap Casio. And a Fostex and a Tascam, right? Okay. And just lay stuff down. And people would say, well, what's that? I said, well, you'd be surprised how many hip hop songs were on a Casio. You know, <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised how many songs were like, I mean, Jack White was using like a $100 plastic guitar. You know, yeah. he didn't care. It really doesn't matter. It's really the, the inspiration of what you're doing. Um, and, you know, and I think it's the quality of the song, right? In the marketing yeah. world, we used to say content is king. I we I got to work with a bunch of like A-list business bloggers on one of the projects I worked on. And my mind was blown. I, w I would go to these websites and it would literally be a white screen with text, like like <laughs> typewriter text. And yet they had three, four or five million followers because the content that they produced was so valuable to the people that were was reading. Yeah. There, it was filled with such nuggets. And I think that it doesn't matter if you record on a million dollar stuff or if you record on a voice memo and you you release that. I think what I've learned is it really comes down to can the song convey a message in a way that turns people's heads? And if it can, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a really pulling the heartstrings. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, if you think about it, if you go back and you listen to stuff like on vinyl from the 20s and the 30s. The, the quality is not that great, but the but content's the like unbelievable, it, right? Yeah, you go listen to like the original like stuff on, uh, you know, like if you listen to like James Brown stuff with the Furious Flames, you know, and Famous Flames, and, and they, they didn't have sometimes the best recording equipment on some of the chess record stuff um, or, or the early soul stuff and blues stuff. Um, but it's just the, 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 just the heart and that's why I tell people, like, it, that's why I think what happened with Kurt Cobain, right? When Nirvana, because you came out of an age where you had all this glitz mm -hmm. with like heavy metal and MTV and everything was like highly produced. And then Kurt kind of came back with this kind of punk aesthetic and this honesty. But it wasn't just punk. He had like a Beatlesque thing, too. He could write and he had a really good voice. And, and so he was able to come back and say, hey, you know, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to do something that's like raw power with honesty and that's going to pull at people's heartstrings and it did because and, you don't always have to be pitch perfect <laughs> and i think that that's what goes back to what we were saying at the very beginning of this whole segment was be honest and be raw with who you are as an individual yeah. and and find that place and and real man I, i'll be the first to tell you i i'm i get as an independent artist 
steering the ship, I get super nervous and scared and intimidated by what I'm up against. But I'm yeah, constantly yeah. reminded by my by my team and my mentors that and and then I have to do it. I have to self check those thoughts and remind myself that it's not about how good I am compared to, you know, John Mayer or Jack Johnson. Like, yeah, I just need to focus on every day me making those small incremental things and being raw with with my music, because if I am, I know that if I can captivate a small restaurant, my old drummer, Rico, he'd oh, we would play these gigs and he'd come up. He's like, dude, did you see table six? And did you <laughs> see they're they're bouncing up and down and people are going to love you. And it's like, man, Rico would always remind me that if you can captivate people in a small space, there's enough people out there that will pay attention. And, and it's yeah. about finding those authentic people that love what you have and being true to it. Well, I think that's the thing why I always tell musicians, like I grew up with a bunch of guys right in my basement bands mm -hmm. and they're like all trying to be Jimmy Page or they're trying to be <laughs> Joe, you know, Mick Jones or they're trying to be, you know, trying to be Keith Richards. Right. And then they, they would get disappointed and they get to a point where it's like, I'm never going to be Keith. I'm not going to be Jimmy. I'm not going to be Hendrix. So I'm going to give it up. And I used to tell people, it's like, look at the Ramones, right? They never tried to be like Eric. Yeah. They never tried to be like Hendrix. They got to be really good within the Ramones way of doing it. Or even Lou Reed. Lou Reed never had a pitch perfect voice. He did spoken word. And he never tried to like, oh, I'm going to get my singing voice perfect. He basically understood he's a poet. He's a spoken word artist. He would play very lo-fi stuff. It was never going to match the Stones. It was never going to match the Who. It was never going to match the Beatles. But the Velvets became like this Velvet Underground became this whole iconic thing for a lot of alternative indie bands. Even today, they, if you just believe in what you're doing and you might not have a pitch perfect voice, you might not even have be tone deaf or whatever. But if you believe what you're doing, that people will feel that belief Amen. and follow you. Yes, you absolutely. Know, and that's absolutely. that's the core. You don't have to be the best at everything other than maybe be at the best at being you, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, and to be okay with that, you know, to be okay yeah. with the fact that step, look, I knew, I, I knew when I got on stage at the beginning, I knew that I was going to make some really bad mistake. I remember one time a lady came up to me with a hundred dollar bill and she's like, can you play this song? And I said, uh, Probably not, but I'm going to give it my try. I'll try right? it. Yeah, try it. She gives me the hundred dollars. She goes sit sits back down. I absolutely butcher it. I mean, <laughs> as bad as it gets. And I stopped in the middle of it and I said, I, I don't remember her name, Christy or something. And I said, like, you know, Christy, you back. <laughs> I, I need you to take this back. You know, I'm going to try it. But you have to be that. You know, you got to be yeah. okay with that. Is is learning. I think that. every musician, like when you pick up that guitar when you first do it. You know yeah. you're not going to be Jimmy Page unless you're just born that way, right? So right. You, you know you're not going to be able to do it, right? But but the whole point is it's the process. It's the process. Like you, like you never can get anywhere if you have the fear. You're like the fear is what stops everybody, you know. And the, the whole idea with music is like a lot of times like like I try. I'm getting into jazz. Like in, in jazz is very difficult. It's difficult. It's it's just as hard to do as classical. Um, yeah music and it's like there's an art form to it and they're like you know they're jazz purists right you play with some jazz guys like if you can't if you can't hang with their capability 
they're like, oh, you get out of here, right? Get out. But you, but you, but you got to be able to like, okay, you know, I can. You got to be able to roll off a mistake and figure out how to go with it. And at the core, like in jazz, it's like you can hang with the big dogs if you learn how to deal with if you hit the wrong key, you're going the wrong way, but you do something interesting. And then the guys say, wow, I didn't think you'd go, you could save that or or, or, or fix that. It's, and it's really not being scared and kind of just being comfortable. And it's like, it's like as you get older and more experienced as a musician, you realize that you have to push yourself, you know, I, to kind of go in those ways and not be scared of it. And that reminds me of something that I was, when I was working in the restaurant industry, I remember one of the, the managers told me, you know, you can always write the ending of the story. And like you as the server have control of the experience. There are going to yeah, be times yeah. where the kitchen messes up, you know, the busser doesn't come bus in time, but you can still roll with the punches. And at the end of the day, you, you write the story. And I, I think that's something that learning who, you know, learning your notes and learning to just roll with the mistake on stage when you have five, 10,000 people watching you. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I remember one time I was playing the cover song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And I've played this a million times or, or thousands of times, right? Literally in the last eight years or something. And I get on stage, it's at a fireworks concert on a Navy Bay, a US Navy base. And I think there was six, seven, 8,000 people that were there. Never, ever had an issue with this, playing along, everybody. And then I get to the whistling part and I realize I'm completely cotton-mouthed. I, I I go to whistle and it's... We can't do it. <laughs> it's that, right? For, for 15 seconds, yeah, every yeah, time yeah. the whistling thing comes up. Oh, you, and it's you learning it to just kick back and go, well... Well, how am I going to play do? off of that? Yeah, you play <laughs> off what you can play off. Like, yeah. you never know. It's like you've, you've, when you have like analog sense like me, yeah, they, they they sometimes don't do what you want them to do, sure. and so you could have like something you want to do, and then the sound is not what you wanted, right? So then you gotta like, are you gonna obsess that you don't have the exact sound that you had when you wrote it, or kind of play off of it? It's yeah. kind of like like not being able to whistle. Like if you can't bring that tone up, then it's not gonna sound like what you wrote. So then you have to kind of let it go. And say I'll go somewhere else, right? Because and, and sometimes what that's what the inspiration is to yeah. start the whole new thing. You know, yeah, like, yeah. It ends I up being better it. than it was the first time. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I can't do what this like, iconic like line, you know, and it's not going to work because the tone's not 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 there. It's not doing it. So it's I'll have to do something else. And then, yeah, I think that's what a lot of times artists or like you forget the lyrics, but then you don't say, "Well, I forgot the lyrics." You just come up with like Dylan was famous. Yeah. for having multiple versions of his songs, <laughs> right? So he would go and do a version of like Idiot Wind or Tangled Up in Blue. And yeah. I've, I've got all these like bootlegs of the different versions. Nice. And I have all these live concerts where Dylan would take like version number one and then version four or version three. And every night he'd run different the different story because each of these songs is actually a big story and he'd use a different character for a whole section do a different whole section of the song. And I thought that that was cool. And I think he probably did it because he was bored of just doing it the same way. And he would just, okay, fine, I'm just, I'm gonna run this alternate version because like, you know, I own it, I wrote them, I wrote all yeah. these versions, I'm just gonna yeah. do it. And I'm not gonna be so tied to like doing it exactly the same every night, which I think is kind of cool. 
And it's cool too because then it gives your audience something that they oh I was there at that concert when he sang it this way you know and yeah yeah he did it the alternate version the same versus like the Eagles finding the band if they don't play Hotel California exactly the same way every night. (laughs) Yeah, I remember hearing that that was one of the the reasons that they like broke up is because. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on which song exactly. Well, Glenn, I think Glenn Fry and Don Henley used to find members yep. of the band yep. when they did like big tours, if they could not play the song exactly at the radio edit. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, and, a, and, you know, I, there's I can a understand value to that. But at the same time, I think when you become so confined, oh, that, that you know, that's something that I, I think too, that has been very interesting. I've had a lot of friends study music through college, grew up in the music scene and, I got this question a couple of weeks ago from a student, like, how do you know what the balance is between music theory and passion? And for me, I don't, I never came from the music theory. Theory, you go for the passion. I, I, I wish I did. I wish I did in the sense that I wish I knew how certain chords played with each other, but mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how to do scales. I don't, I'm good at chords and I'm semi-decent at writing melodies and some lyrics. So you got to play to that. But I think one thing that's important as you're breaking into thinking whether or not, hey, do I want to be an independent artist or do I want to do music as a hobby or do I want to go you know, as a label is never letting the theory of music and the technicalities of music keep you from doing music or, or just being OK with it being not to some rigid structure. I've seen probably five three to five musicians that are close friends of mine that aren't even in the music industry anymore, because I personally feel like they lost the passion in the technicality of music. And I don't think that that's why we have music or why. No, I think, I think a lot of it is just like virtuosity can be in different levels. Like, like you can be somebody can sight read, sheet read, no theory, or you could be, you know, like a like band like I love is like Sunrod, this experimental um, jazz band, and they just like you know it's experimentation, and and it's like taking discordant ideas and running with them, and and taking all kinds of weird spoken word poetry and integrating it into bebop and fusion and free jazz, and and free fusion and free jazz are just very improvisational, and people like they might have like a like, a, um, I don't know, like, like they might take a theme from a TV show. They might take a theme from a movie and then run it into the song. And maybe, and then, you know, that's the thing about jazz. You, you'll take something out of the ether and then you'll kind of play with it and then bring it back and change it and invert it. And it's kind of like, it's just this game. You keep on playing these games with these, oh, I can take this tone and kind of play with it and, and move it around. But... I think that that to me is what's fun. It's like it's not the fun of like oh, I'm gonna play it the same way every night like Bach or Beethoven. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm gonna gonna in, reinvent it all the time because of the way I feel like so tonight I feel a certain way. I'm gonna play it that way, and it's more like a blues thing, you know, or like or a punk thing where it's the it's the punk aesthetic or the blues feeling that makes you want to listen to Lead Belly, Robert Johnson, or any of the great like blues men. Because it's like they could approach that same structure, but every night if they, if they they're pissed off about their girlfriend left them and stole all their money and wrecked their car, then they're gonna go do something different than they did before 
versus when she, she, you know, she, she, she loved them that night. And so it's a different experience. It's like so <laughs> she ran away or she loved me. It's like, okay, which one's going to be tonight? <laughs> and I, I think that that, the, to answer the question, you know, is it's for me. And again, this is just me. I'm, I'm, I'm nobody in the grand scheme of, you know, iconic music legends, but my approach, my personal approach is not to get caught up in the theory, but to know enough chords, to know enough, to be able to blend that with a melody and and a structure that works and lyrics yeah. that fit you know fit that and and then let that's the rest you, go you know yeah Just that's when you know what you can do it. i mean if you think about it there's a lot of bands that know three or four chords right mm -hmm. and that's their whole stick that's their whole thing acdc baby yeah yeah i mean you get to the ramones and acdc you get the sex pistols they but, did more than that, but yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I'm saying there's just, there's a kind of structure, a certain type of music that's kind of tight with where the range it can go, and it, if you just it's more the attitude, like if you, you come into that kind of Ramones attitude, or like like a like a Sex Pistol attitude, or like you know a heavy grunge band, um, then you can get into this kind of phase where it's more of the aesthetic and the feeling that you are trying to rebel. And in, in the whole idea with punk is it was rebelling against progressive rockers and for, and like the perfect rockers. It was rebelling against guys like Jimmy Page, guys like Eric Clapton that were like so beyond anybody else that you they'd like, okay, the price of admission to be a rock star is I got to be as good as Eric Clapton, right? Yeah. So there's no way I'm ever going to be as good as Eric Clapton. So how, how am I ever going to do it, right? So then punk gave you the answer is like, you could be Joe Strummer. You could be Mick Jones. You could be, you know, Johnny Rotten. You you could come out there. You could be Joey Ramone. You, you could be the talking heads. You know, you could come out there and do something that's like, that's not what the old guys were doing, but it became a new way of doing it. So that in itself becomes like the new art, you know, because you are willing to put, you know, if you think about the talking heads, I mean, that is so progressive and so odd what they did. But it was like nobody else was even doing it. They don't even do it today. It's like it was a very unique band, very different take on like punk and progressive and art. And so you, if you come in there and you, you know, David Byrne, you like you come in there and you come up with this different idea and you're willing to put yourself out there and believe in it, then you can become like the next icon because people are like, wow, he believes it. Yeah. So then they believe it. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Well, I think I think we kind of went to we always end up finding out that we go longer than we think we could. That's okay. <laughs> that, that's no the time, nature. Yeah. But we have people come on multiple times because the cool thing about music is, you know, we have a, like a set idea what we should talk about. But I like to go like my music is like wherever the, song, the conversation is going to go. That's where we go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. So it's great having you on, David. And this, like I said, we're, this is gonna this is gonna be on my YouTube channel. It's on now. It's gonna be permanently there on Facebook and my Twitch. Awesome. We're gonna convert it over to i, I iTunes um, or Apple Podcast and Spotify within an hour. We'll send you yeah, the yeah. links to that. We actually are on eleven podcast platforms. They're wow. audio only, and okay. all of them will convert within the next uh, day or two. Apple and um. Spotify will happen within an hour or two. Um, and so we will send you, send you that. And if you ever want to come on the show again, where you want to push a project, we have people coming on. 
We are working on an online festival with most wow, of the guests, cool. a lot of the guests we've talked to. We've got maybe five to 10 bands signing up for like a July, August type of online festival that we want to do. Um, so yeah, it's just something we can get in touch with you with, but it's something we're doing. We're just inviting everybody we ever talk to. Awesome, man. Yeah, I would love to be a part of that and uh, new projects wise. So I do things a little bit different, like as an indie artist, we kind of talked about this before, but I don't necessarily do albums. I just try to come out with one Singles. song a month. Yeah, mm -hmm. one song a month and then license that off. And then I've had um, I've had different companies come to me and say, hey, can we combine these three and make a, you know. A, a, yeah, a so if you have an EP or something, if you want to do an EP, like if you because yeah. I know a lot of times today people have been doing a spotlight single. I do that and then I do albums or EPs. Yeah. But if there's ever like um, like a long, like an EP you want to push or something like that, Absolutely. or even if it's a single song, but it's really big for you. We've yeah. had episodes where it's just one big song that is big for you and you got, it's going to be pushed out like so, so heavy that you want to talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah. The new one, I got one that drops on Friday <laughs> and it's oh, yeah, called cool. no, no Regrets. Yeah. It's called No Regrets. It's uh well, send us the link and we can always um, kind of back it into this episode. Perfect. Yeah. I would That's love something that. we can do because we actually can go. All these episodes will have hyperlinks. Okay. Um, and so, like, if that, when that comes out, let us know and we'll just update and it will actually cascade through all the audio podcasts and we can oh, manually awesome. put it into the video ones. That's awesome, man. That sounds, yeah. that sounds sweet. Well, hey. we got to push each other, you know, we're all our hey, own. Come on. <laughs> well, I think the thing is, like, everybody has to create their own collective. You know, the reason indie artists do well today is because we kind of create our own collective uh, pushing each other, you know, and I think that's that's the best thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Phantom, I, I'm so inspired by, uh, like you said, your prolificness. I, I, I just I'm, I get on in, in the morning. I'm like, gosh, this guy came out with like 10 new videos overnight. Like, how does he do this? And uh, I, I'm very interested on, you know, when we get to talk again, just getting in your mind. And I know I've read some back stuff and we've talked about your uh, relationship with music since you were, you know, a kid and and how you've come. Uh, so far and, and never gave up and kept, you know, pushing. And, and so I just encourage people to check out um, those, you know, those, those videos and stuff for you too, as well. And I, and I so appreciate the opportunity to, to be able to learn from you and, and talk with you. And yeah. Well, I'm always down for, I'm always down for the collaboration. I'm actually working with a guy, um, a Dutch producer right now. We're working on some cool stuff. And um, I, I work with people from time to time. I work with a Canadian poet this year. I'm working with this Dutch producer in Holland. Um, I am always down because I write all the time and, and and I've been in bands and I've been just a ghost. And I like I, I, I have not opposed to like I actually did a project with this band band from New York City called Lonnie Claire. And I was like a member of the band. Um, mm. And I, I, I'm not opposed to like joining a, a one off band or one off project or being a you know co-producer or co-writer on stuff. Cause I just like to write all, all the time and I have so much stuff and like maybe some of my stuff works. So you never know. It's like, so it always hit me up. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And especially when I'm going for like those different sounds, you know, the different, yeah. uh, the keyboard sounds and stuff. I, I was so impressed on our previous conversation off air about just your knowledge of, uh, keyboards and, and sounds and the iconic sounds that are caught in different 
songs throughout the ages or throughout the last you know couple decades yeah that's my obsession is like music history i mean i was watching a documentary on the history of roland this guy in england mm -hmm. did this youtube documentary like like they tracked every single rolling keyboard from the birth wow. of the company oh my and God. i just you know my wife was like what is that <laughs> it's like how do you spend it, so much time do, do you want to watch it my wife is like do, like do you think i'm gonna watch that i was like well i guess not <laughs> i got a funny i got a funny story for you so, so my my wife and i right i i love u.s history I, i'm a huge civil war buff and a world war ii buff and i don't know i just i that was something i loved enjoying and when when my wife and I got married, she's like, can you put on another one of those civil war documentaries so I can fall asleep easier? <laughs> yeah, that's, so, like, that's what I knew. I was like, I'm marrying you girl. Cause our, 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 uh, our weaknesses and strengths certainly cancel each other out. So it's very, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I know how to put people to sleep. And <laughs> <laughs> anyways, all right, Phantom. Hey, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just very grateful for the time and, and uh, making a new friend. So, yeah, it's great. Great. Yeah, we'll be in touch because I'm sure we can get this online concert. I'd like to see, you know, you know from Kauai, uh, is what you could put, put together. I would love to be a part of that. Cool. We'll be in touch. I'll talk to you and uh, John about that. Okay. Sounds good. Great. Hey, right, bye. Shoots. Aloha. Bye.